curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everyone. Michelle Slaney Travato here. Welcome to the Living Your Legacy show. I am so excited today to have on another amazing guest. When we are looking at living our legacy, particularly as parents, we all know that parenting is not for the faint of heart. Like it is not. Um, It is not for someone who is squeamish because there are a lot of bodily fluids involved in parenting Um, and not usually they're not ones from you. They're from somebody else that you have to deal with. You know, there's all kinds of stuff around um, just dealing with the two-year-old who screams no nonstop to everything. You know, there's dealing with teens. And we all know if you are parenting teens, I saw this great meme that parents of teens know why some animals eat their young. Like, we get that. Um, You know, we totally do because, you know, they are not rational human beings. And they leave you scratching your head or pulling out your hair or wanting to pull theirs out because you just don't understand what's going on. So this parenting thing can be really challenging, but we always want the best for our kids. We want them to learn and grow and become strong, independent, supportive, kind, caring, compassionate, loving human beings. Like we just want all those things and creating a legacy around that can be so challenging just because of the practicalities of parenting. Like just right there, getting through the day some days is like, I am so, you just want to crawl into your bed. And at the end of the day, you're like, thank God that's over. It's just over. Now I get to start tomorrow. <laughs> it can be so overwhelming. And today we have a lady on who talks about dealing with that parenting piece. And she's got an amazing podcast. And we're going to talk all the things about awesome parenting and how to do that and how to shift things in your life so that you can create the legacy you want and your child wants for their lives. Notice how I put that part in there. It's not just what we want as parents. It's what they want too. So let me introduce you to our guest today. And oh my gosh, she's like my new bestie. I absolutely adore her. I got connected with her um, through a friend and then went and listened to her podcast, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And literally, we could have talked for hours and hours. In fact, we're going to talk for hours and hours because I'm seeing her here and she's interviewing me on her podcast. And like, we're just going to be in it together forever. So let me introduce you to my new friend, Dr. Marcy Beagle. Now, here's a really great bio on Dr. Marcy. So Dr. Marcy, you get to sit for quietly for a few more minutes. I'm going to totally turn it over to you. So for more than 20 years, because she started when she was two, 
Dr. Marcy has been creating culture change with families, schools, and organizations. Right there, she just like lives into my heart. She's been sharing her tools and strategies with literally thousands of people. She helps families shift from breakdown and disconnection, and dear Lord, haven't we all felt that, to happy dances and memorable moments. And don't we all want that? She helps organizations build the bridge between mental health and business. Dr. Mercy believes the best way to create change is through inspiration and experience because really you can't create change if you're not doing anything. What is there to change? You've got to experience some stuff. This means her work with both organizations and families is experiential. So you got to live it. It's engaging. You got to do it. And it's practical. It's got to help because it change only matters if it lasts. And don't we all know that too? Dr. Marcy earned her doctorate from Teachers College, Columbia University, and is a board-certified behavior analyst at the doctorate level. That's so cool. She is a best-selling author of Love Your Family Again and Love Your Classroom Again. So this one goes out to teachers, too. Love Your Family Again and Again and Again and Again is her new podcast that you can find just about anywhere podcasts are on. She is based in New York City, though she loves to travel to her clients around the world, if that's possible. She has been a guest behavioral expert on national media, including Fox, ABC, and NBC. We are so blessed to have her here. Sharing her passion for behavior has led her to speak at organizations ranging from individual school districts to the Royal Australian Navy. I totally want to hear about that. And TEDx Neighborville. For more information, you got to go visit drmercy.com. Mercy, I am so excited to have you here today. I am so excited for the commentary you added to my bio. I think I'm going to have you do all of my introductions because it just sounds that much more exciting with your little little nuggets added of how to bring it to life. So thank you for that. You are so welcome. I'd record it for you any day. Um, so now, Dr. Marcy, tell us a little bit about you. Obviously, we know what you're up to right now. But when you know you were in grade four and the teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? This probably wasn't on your radar. So what's the journey that took you from grade four to here? Yeah, it has been quite a journey, I will say, because when I was in grade four, I was still a big, loud, artsy, creative person. And I was living in a family of mathematicians. I have a wonderful, loving family, but they are linear, mathematically minded humans. That must have been really interesting. Yeah, it was. Because without them ever intentionally saying that I did not fit, I felt like I didn't fit. Right. And some of that was because I went to speech therapy and was in resource room with Mr. Emilio for three years because I couldn't read. Um, but it was also because I did things like my uncle gave me this pair of beautiful red silk pajamas that I can still picture in my head and didn't wear them to sleep. But the next day came downstairs in my silk pajamas ready for school. My mom looked at me and was like, this will not go well. And I said, yes, it will. Who will know that these are pajamas? They're gorgeous. They're pants and a shirt. It's amazing. My mom, with that knowing look that you parents get when you're like, this won't go well, but my child is too determined for me to change that. I walked to school thinking no one would know. 
And any of you who have a fourth grader knows that other children are not as kind as they are in your kid's head. And I came home in tears, Mm -hmm. just devastated because they all knew and they all told me that they knew and they all did not appreciate me wearing pajamas to school. So it was challenging. And then I would try to do homework and wouldn't understand the math that everyone else in my family just got in snap of a finger. Like my sister went to an Ivy League school for computer science and she's now a programmer. Both my parents were math majors in college. Like they just got it. And so my dad would try to help me and I would sit and I would listen and I'd ask questions and I'd get confused and my feelings would build and build and build. And then I, at some point would just explode and run away from the table. Mm -hmm. And I was just convinced that I didn't fit in the box that I was supposed to fit in like Mm -hmm. that nice little cute box that we have decided as children, we are supposed to fit in. I didn't fit in it. Mm -hmm. So in high school, I had a very, very wise doctor that I was working with who said to my parents, she needs therapy. And I am very lucky to say my parents listened and took me to therapy. And I learned all of these tools that were hidden inside that box that I thought I was supposed to be in. The therapist taught me how to open it and look inside and navigate my feelings because no one knows how to just navigate their feelings Mm -hmm. without some instruction and, and help. And I learned how to shine with all my big feelings and it was kind of amazing. But the real turning point for my legacy, for my future was when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I took all of my big feelings that I learned how to shine. And I, fresh after freshman year, went and was a camp counselor at the forum school, which is a school for kids with special needs. And I was put in a a group of these eight boys that were amazing. They were the coolest kids I've ever met in my entire life, probably still to this day with the thousands of kids I've worked with. And what I realized was that that thing that made me feel like I didn't fit was also the thing that made me amazing at connecting with them, mm-hmm. that I got what was going on with them. And I learned how to translate these really challenging moments so that I could help them move through all of their big feelings. Mm-hmm. And what we ended up doing was giving them the tools and support so that they could create their very own box, not the shape that we thought it was supposed to be, but their own unique shape, Mm -hmm. their own form that they then got to fit in. And it was then that I realized I'm really good at this. And if we can teach four-year-olds or seven-year-olds or 10-year-olds to create their own box, what would the rest of their life look like? Oh my gosh, mic drop moment right there. We could just stop everything right there. I'm like, stop record. And like, that is such a gem right there because you're right. Right. When we look at our children, we look at it through a particular lens, obviously the skills and things that come easy to us. Um, But if we took the time to actually stop and say, well, what do you want? What are you really good at? What things about you that I don't understand, but can appreciate, can we, how can I help you shine that light? How can I help you find a place where all those things you love and that you're really good at can allow you to feel all this amazing stuff? And we don't know where it's going to lead. I mean, what are they saying now? The jobs that our children will have haven't even been invented yet. So many of them. So totally get what you're talking about there. I think that that's just absolutely amazing. So tell us what happened after your camp with all the boys. 
So I then went back to college, changed my major to not just psychology, but also speech pathology, because I was told that if I was going into the world of special education, I didn't want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a speech pathologist because they had a better schedule and financial income from it. And so I listened to all the grownups that told me to do that. And then I started working with some kids who had the diagnosis of autism. And I got trained in ABA, which we can have a conversation about the controversies of that. But what it did for me was it gave me a framework that allowed me to understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Behavior makes sense to me. Behaviorism makes sense to me. It's, it's how I see the world. It's how I problem solve. And now I had a language for it. And because of that, I decided I did get my undergrad in speech pathology, but I decided to go on and get my master's in behavior disorders. And I kept looking for ways to get even in the world of ABA, which can be very, very rigid, very Mm box-like, I kept finding ways to get kids out of the box, to understand what they were trying to communicate. Because that's the biggest thing to me. Behavior is simply communication. Mm -hmm. And if we had a better way to do it that did not involve throwing things or hurting someone or hurting ourselves, everyone would do it. Because any child I've ever met with an aggressive behavior, with a hard moment, wasn't trying to create problems. They were communicating something and didn't know else how to do it. Mm -hmm. So I took all of that knowledge about how behavior works and started helping kids create their own box. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along my journey, I had a very powerful moment where I realized me working with these kids is magic and wonderful. Mm -hmm. But if I am not on a family's payroll and with them for the rest of their life, it does them no good Mm -hmm. because the parents need the tools. Mm -hmm. And so I started including parents in my home sessions. I started doing more parent training because I realized that the people who are organically in that child's life, their classroom teachers, which I was not, Mm -hmm. their parents, which I was not, needed the tools to help these kids make their own boxes and Mm -hmm. create their own universe and understand their own world because then everything becomes possible. So I shifted my practice and I just continue to shift and grow and change in order to support that mission. I continue to shift and grow with that possibility, with what kids need. And I talk more about mental health than I, I ever thought I was going to. Because the reality is, in order for parents to support their kids well, parents need to take care of themselves better. Mm -hmm. And it sometimes feels not possible. But when we frame it in, if you take this 30 minutes and take care of yourself, your kids get to see that and model that. And then you get to show up with more patience. Well, now we have an entire family culture that has just shifted. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I have landed in in the journey of what we're going to do and what we're going to change and how we're going to change it, um, at least for this moment. And along the way, I've written books and traveled around the world speaking to amazing groups of people and go into families' homes around the world to help create change in real time, in real homes, in real life circumstances. For a while, I had my own office and I would have kids come to me we would create challenging situations and then we'd send them home. And I realized that that's not a great model. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the therapeutic model that is out there. 
right? That's the tutoring model. That's the therapy model. But when you are a parent who lives in real life Mm -hmm. and there's homework and there's dinner and there's phone ringings and there's siblings and you're trying to parent in that, my office wasn't comparable. Yep. So I go into homes. And if you don't live in New York and we can't do it for an afternoon, I have a weekend package where I come to you for three days. And we do virtual work before, virtual work after. So you understand the tools and the concepts. But one of the hardest things I hear from parents is how do I actually do this? How do I actually put this in place? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't. Mm -hmm. And I decided that wasn't acceptable. Yep. So I'm going to show up and I'm going to help you how I'm going to help you see how you can because you can. That's amazing. I love all those things. And I want to pick up on a thread of a few of those things that you talked about. Um, Speaking of the training and the understanding, I'm going to talk with two hats on one as a former special ed classroom teacher, and one as a mom of both a child in special ed and a child not in special ed. So Talking from both of those perspectives, I can tell you this, exactly what you were saying. Those real life situations are very unique. Every child is unique and their background, their experience, their abilities, their challenges are unique. And so from a teacher's perspective, standing in front of a room full of kids, there's a lot of information teachers do not have about each child. All the things I just listed are most of the pieces of information they do not have about each child. Um, If there's a good reporting system, they might have information on disabilities and challenges. If the child's been in the school for a while, they may have information on the family. They may not. It may not get to them. Um, And so they're starting with, I have this curriculum that I need to work my way through. I have to try and figure out how to help each of these children understand it. And then pretty quickly, you start figuring out who doesn't get it. Now it's the whole big investigative journey. Is it that you didn't understand the language? Maybe you're not, English is not your first language. Okay, so then we need to put some effort into breaking down the language. Is it that the structure or the style that it was presented. So perhaps it's I'm standing in front of the room and I'm talking for an hour and you're supposed to take notes and and you don't understand what's important, how to figure out what's important. So now we need to do some work in that area. Is it that um, your ability level is not at the level of the information that's been shared? So maybe the worksheet is too high a level and you don't understand what's on the worksheet. Is it that there's a reading challenge? So now this is going on for each and every individual kid in the classroom, especially the children that are not getting it. And the teacher is now starting to do this work. What a lot of people don't understand or forget is that many teachers are not trained specifically in how to address all of those needs. There is no teacher training program that covers all the things I just talked about. And I just scratched the surface on what's going on in the class. Then there's the kid whose behaviors are completely out of control. And you're like, I don't even know what's happening with that kid. Why is this behavior happening? I don't feel particularly safe here. The kids don't want to sit with them. There's some social stuff going on now. I don't, what do I do with that? Right. And that's in the classroom. And so the teachers are struggling with all of that. 
Um, and really, a lot of teachers are searching for answers. They're trying to figure it all out. But again, who has the time to do a whole master's on each one of those different challenges? So, and you've only got them for X amount of time and then they're gone and the next group comes in. So there's, there's that. So I can see why in a, um, an office, A, some of those things may not be exhibited because the structure is different. They're in a one-on-one -on -one situation. You're there, you understand them. You're really trying to work with them to figure it all out. It might not, maybe the situation is that with 20 kids in the room, it's too loud, I freak out. Well, in a one-on-one -on -one situation in a quiet office, you're not gonna see that behavior because that's not, the trigger isn't there, right? Um, or in a situation where, um, you know, it's a child who, I worked myself with kids in alternate programming and a lot of these kids have emotional armor four feet thick and they got stuff going on they don't want you to know about. And they hide it behind behaviors. Mm -hmm. So if I can be the class clown, if I can be, you know, the troublemaker that you kick out of the room, I don't, you don't have to know that I don't know how to do this. So it's safer for me emotionally to not be in your room, to fail the course, to get the labels that go with all that than it is for me, for you to know, and for me to feel like I'm being focused on in the classroom that, oh, poor Johnny doesn't know how to read and that you're going to draw all kinds of attention to me and it's going to be embarrassing and I don't know what to do. So I worked with kids like that too. And it was a very interesting thing having to try and figure that out. Um, so there's all kinds of things. And that's just the school piece. Now, let me put on my mom hat. At home, Wait, can we go to the school piece for a sec? Yeah, sure. The, the other big thing that I see is when kids would come to my office or we're working one-on-one, -on -one, what I have the capacity to do one-on-one -on -one is not what the teacher has the capacity to do when it's one-on-20 in a good ratio, one-on-30 or one-on-40 mm -hmm. in some of the higher ratios. They just can't do it, mm -hmm. right? So we have to start talking to teachers about behavior, about not, not all of the specialties, right? If there are problems, there are specialists to bring in. But in general, how do you set your classroom up for success so your kids will sit and listen to you so that they can learn? Mm -hmm. Because we're not doing that. One of my favorite speaking engagements is every semester, I go in to one of the colleges here in New York to the teacher to the student teachers and do a lesson on how behavior works. So when they go in the classroom, they have a little bit of insight, but it's certainly insufficient. But you see the light bulbs of like, oh, they're not just being a bad kid mm -hmm. because teachers perpetuate that story unknowingly because that's all they have. Mm -hmm. And when they don't know any better, but they're like that kid knows better, but they're not doing it. So therefore they're a bad kid. That child starts to believe it. Mm -hmm. And that feeling starts to grow and then they become that bad kid. And if we could get teachers more tools to understand what's happening with everything else they have on their plate, that whole cycle could change. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. absolutely. Love that. Now your mom Thank hat. You. Thank you for that. And not put my mom hat on. So again, family dynamics, right? plays such a big role. And, you know, it's hard to say what a kid is coming to school from, right? 
Um, how, how is their morning structured? Is it a family like yours where that kid feels like a square peg in a round hole? They're just not fitting with their own family. Is it a situation of there are challenges that challenging behaviors that this child is exhibiting at home that they're not exhibiting at school, which is certainly something I've lived with. My oldest son has significant special needs, which I've talked about quite openly. And if he, if something happens at school, he never loses it at school. He is like the nicest, quietest, happiest, most compliant child. But the minute the car door closes in the parking lot, I hear it. And there have been times where he just screamed the whole way home, which let me tell you, you want to talk about white knuckle driving, <laughs> right? Um, and so then there's this rapport now. How do I how do I approach the school and say, so something happened, clearly, because my child's really upset. How do we super sleuth this? Or something happens at home. And you know, my my eldest, who is the one with special needs, is like eats, sleeps, breathes, lives school. And he is up at the crack of dawn, and I am not kidding, the crack of dawn on school days because he's anxious to go. He literally, I have to eat holding my plate because he is trying to take it from me. With every bite, he's like, you're done, right? And I'm taking the plate. I'm like, uh, I would like to finish my breakfast before I get. And like, I sometimes have to chase him around while I'm chewing. Now, my younger son, he's not as fond of school and he would very much like to take his time. He's also not a morning person. So he is very slow moving. So now I've got this juxtaposition of the energizer rabbit and the turtle all at the same time. And I have to try and get them out the door. And like, it's, it's well, constant chaos in the mornings for sure. Cause I'm trying to juggle both of these things. And so again, stuff that's going on for families, we don't know. And are you going to see that in a classroom? Maybe, but more likely you'd see the byproduct of what's happening at home. So it's the behaviors, it's the, they're tired, they're not sleeping, they're this, they're that. Um, and then you look at, okay, again, coming back to working in your office, you're not going to see that family dynamic in your office. And so the things that you're suggesting for the child to do and try, they may very well be going away and doing and trying. But if it's not something that their families understand, then it's really counterproductive. It's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. Because you're right, if change doesn't stay, gotta have stickiness. If it doesn't stick, there's no stick with itness, then it's not really gonna be changed. It's just a fad and it's there and it's gone. So I totally get that. So let's talk about this idea of loving your family again and again. I want to circle back to the whole family dynamic because you know, nobody has children, to my knowledge, where they're like, I want to have people in my life that I hate. I think I'll bring a few in my house because I just want to be surrounded by people that I don't want to be around. No, that's Pretty? not really no, usually I'm, I'm, how it works. No, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking that it's more, you know, that they they want to, they love their partner or their spouse or the the person they're with. Um, or they just feel this biological need to be a parent and they and they want to put good things out in the world. They want a little piece of them that's in the world that's going to carry on. And most of us want, absolutely want the best for our children. It's heartbreaking to watch our children struggle. It is like devastating 
when you're dealing with issues around bullying or your child is not being successful in school and you do not know how to help them. I have absolutely been there. And then you're thinking, now what do I do? And of course, you start connecting with people in a wide variety of different areas and everybody will tell you how to work on their thing. So if it's a speech pathologist, we got to do the speech stuff. If it's an audiologist, we got to do the hearing things or arrange the environment so that sound is better. If it's the medical doctor, it's this medication, that medication, you need to, you know, experiment with things because of course biology is a huge thing in medicines and it's not like take this pill everything gets better in two weeks it's more we need to see if this is the right dose and if it's not we need to go up or we need to go down and you need to monitor this and that um and then if it's you know whoever else it is the aba person if it's whoever else is coming in now all of a sudden you've got this list of things to do and sometimes the lists conflict yes for right? sure. What one yeah. professional is telling you is in direct conflict with what another professional is telling you. And as a parent, you're like, uh, which now how do I put that together? Which to me is a heartbreaking piece of all of this, right? When there's something going on with your child in school, the school comes to you. The school is supposed to be the professionals about how kids learn and grow is coming to you as a parent and saying, you figure this out and come to me. And then they put to, they send you to all of these different possible places and everyone tells you something different. And there is no central place. There's not one person who is going to help you synthesize and coordinate and bring it all together and say, yes, I've had experiences in all of these realms. Here's what this really means. Here's what the possibilities are. Mm -hmm. And for every family, that's a different voice. And it is something that I do my best to bring forward. Does it always work? No, I am human as well. But I do my best to say, look, this is my perspective. But here's something to think about. Here's something to look at. Mm -hmm. And I'm really clear. And if you are a parent listening, please take this nugget that I want to talk to all of the other professionals. So that if I'm working with a family and they're working with a speech pathologist and we're telling them conflicting things, it's not your job as the parent to discern that. We as the professionals need to talk and come up with a cohesive plan for you. Because otherwise, how, how do you know? I've gone to school for this. I've spent my entire life learning how to do this better and have so many different data points to know how to adjust. You have your family who you know better than anybody else does. But let us as the professionals discern how we Combine our expertise to give you something that you can actually go and do. Because otherwise, we are just adding to your overwhelm and your chaos that you are already in. And that is not fair or kind of us as the professionals. So I'm a big fan of team meetings. I'm a big fan of off the record professional conversations so that we can kind of shortcut this is what I'm seeing, this is what you're seeing, here's what we should give to the family. But I'm also a big believer that we have to work with the whole family. And this is not a very popular way of working with families. But if I am working with a family, partially because I'm in the home and you can't not work with everybody, but even with virtual parent training, I will talk to you about anything that is happening related to your family. So if job is really hard, I can't tell you what to do at your job, 
but I can help you have some mental health tools around navigating that stress. So you're not yelling at your kids or spouse because your boss has been yelling at you. If there's stuff in the marriage, I'm not a marriage counselor, but if you are being mean to each other in front of the kids, and then you wonder why your kids are mean, we're going to talk about that. If you actually called me because your older child needs help, but your younger child is now acting up, we're going to talk about that because you don't parent in isolation. And just like you have a team of professionals, we as the professionals also have to look at the team that is your family. And so find people that are willing to have multiple layered conversations with you because it all impacts everything. And when we silo all of these pieces, it creates for a siloed impact. Those are very profound words right there. And you're absolutely right. Um, I remember at one point when my eldest son was very young, looking at a professional and saying, when do I just get to be mom? Because everything in my life, if you're watching TV, you need to be stretching his hand or you should be singing the alphabet to him all the time and, you know, limiting all the, all the things. And, you know, essentially I thought like, when? When do I just, even driving, when you're driving, you need to make sure that you're, you know, encouraging him to have conversations and stuff. I'm like, oh, when, when do I just get to be mom in all of this? When? At what point? Right. And, and when do you get to be not mom, but like a friend to your girlfriends out in the world or a wife who has date night? Because for so many parents, it is so consuming mm-hmm. and we have to we as the professionals have to remember to create, help you create the space for your whole life, just Mm -hmm. like you're creating the space for your whole child and the unique box they are in. You Mm -hmm. need that too. Amazing. So let's shift into that positive side of things. Cause I want to talk about that. Your themes that you talk about are loving your family again and again and again, living and approaching life from a place of optimism and hope. And of course, when we're looking at our children, and we're looking toward their future. So not just today, tomorrow, next week, you know, we're scheduling out soccer practices and all those other things. But when we're thinking, and and I encourage all of our listeners, if you're a parent to think about this, where will your child be in 10 years? That just scares me when I think about my oldest kid, because he will be 28. As of this recording, he'll be 28 in 10 years. Where will that child be? What will his or her life look like? Where will they live? Who will be in their lives? Right? Are they going to be fulfilled and happy? Or are they going to be slogging it and hating every minute of it? Pretty sure the latter, the last thing I just said is not the thing most parents want. We want for our children to be productive members of society, to feel fulfilled, to have enough income to live the life they love. Well, what life will your child love? And then, and then let's reverse engineer this. What do I need to do today that's going to help my child get there to that life they love, right? So I may decide I want my child to be a doctor or a lawyer or whoever. Is that what my child wants? Is that who they want to be? If it is, great. Let's link arms and make it happen. But if it's not, who does your child want to be? 
That's a really good question. Who does your child want to be? And recognize their children. It'll probably change 7,500 times before they actually make the final decision. And there's going to be lots of exploring that they need to do. So let's talk about that. How can we, as parents, do that exploration with our children? How can we reverse engineer some of this stuff? We've talked about some of the challenges and the problems. Those are big and not super easy to make go away, require time, effort, energy, all that stuff on the one side. On the other side, though, is the joy and the peace and the flow and the laughter. How do we, how do we stay in that space? How do we get there? And how do we try to stay there? Let's talk about that. So you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I am like doing a happy dance, jumping out of my skin at this question because I love it so much because we do spend so much time thinking about how to stop the bad. And one of the things that I am a huge proponent of is sometimes we don't have to stop the bad as much as we need to build in the good because some of the bad behavior is your kids wanting to spend time with you. And the only time you put down your phone is when they're yelling. So what if you just put down the phone and like played a game with them? Maybe we wouldn't have as much bad. So there's a whole bunch of pieces here from what you just said that I am so excited to talk about. One is this idea of joy and fun and silliness and failure, quite honestly, because that's what experimentation is and creativity of just try it. And there is no right answer that only happens if you create it. There are, there are very few people who just like randomly play in their life as an adult. And most of us are so busy trying to get the next thing on the to-do list done that we forget that we have to stop and do this. So schedule fun, schedule play, schedule game nights, schedule buying a bunch of paint and putting rags on the, all over the floor and on the walls and finger painting and making a gigantic mess, right? Plan for it and create the space for it because otherwise life is busy and we forget. We just forget to play with our kids and it's okay. If you want them to learn how to pour the milk into a glass, you have to let them spill it some of the time. So we have to let go of that, which also means in the day-to-day routines, creating cushion time for those incidental moments. So there's not as much pressure. And yes, that is so hard to do because waking up 10 minutes early to have 10 more minutes before you leave for school is really hard because you are not sleeping enough to begin with. But if those, if waking up 10 minutes early means you're not screaming all morning and you have a little less pressure and you're not worried you're going to be late to your meeting, it's worth it because that shift from that anger, frustrated moment to breathing and joy takes so much less energy. And so if we come from that joy first, huge difference. Now, once we schedule in our play, the other big thing you you asked was, who will your kids be? Where will they be 10 years from now? Now, one of the biggest things that I am a proponent of is that we have to teach our kids to do hard things. I think you should say that on a daily basis to your kids, that you should encourage them to do hard things, that you should stand next to them, behind them, in front of them doing hard things, which means they're going to fail. It's going to hurt. They're going to be uncomfortable. And that is what's going to make them thrive. We are in a moment where we don't want 
our kids, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want our kids to be uncomfortable. That'd be bad. Well, if you want them to be happy 10 years from now, if you want them to have a job they like, maybe even love, they're going to have to take risks. They're going to have to go on a job interview and maybe not get it. They're going to have to do something that their boss told them to do that they think is stupid, but they have to do it anyway because it's part of the job. If you want them to fall in love, they're going to have to risk having their heart broken. They're going to have to ask somebody out or say yes when somebody asks them. Go on a first date. And if you don't teach them to be uncomfortable, if you don't teach them to do hard things, if you don't teach them that it is okay to fail, they won't be willing to risk those things. And their lives will be that much harder and sadder. So one of the things that I encourage parents to do, and if you want kids, your children to grow up and have an amazing life, think about allowing them to have short-term pain so that they can have long-term happiness as opposed to short-term happiness and long-term pain. Doing the things that I have done in my career have been terrifying. Like starting my podcast scared the daylights out of me. And I'm so excited I did it. It's where pride comes from. When we do something we never thought we could do, that's when we become proud. If you want your kids to be proud of themselves, to do amazing, remarkable things, teach them that they can do hard things. Another mic drop moment right there. And so profound. Um, I think... Well, I think a couple of thoughts around this. One, it's amazing to have those hard conversations, to do those hard things, to hold yourself back. I mean, my gosh, how many times? I know how to pour the milk without spilling anything. So much easier if I just do it because we got to get easier on and faster. Yep. Just got to get going. Easier and faster if I do it. Yep. Totally. It doesn't get us to the long-term goal. Right. It does not. Um, but being present, present in, you know, mind and spirit, watching what is happening with my children. Now, again, I'm not perfect. And there is a whole lot of moments where I am not present. And I'm like, can we just get on with it? <laughs> All right. But thinking a lot, I've been thinking a lot about that because of my podcast and looking at legacy and what do I want to see from my children means I have to stop and think about it today. I got to reverse engineer it. I need to look at what I'm doing. I need to look at what they're doing. I need to look at what we're not doing that we should be doing or we are doing that we shouldn't be doing. And, you know, sort of making adjustments. And one of the things, of course, that we've been talking about a lot is finances and how we're going to look after my oldest son for the rest of his life. And those conversations have included our youngest son. And to hear him just this past weekend say to me, you know, mom, I'm thinking now he's 13 as of this recording. I'm thinking now about buying my first car. I'm like, okay, you're thinking about buying your first car. Cool. He's like, you know, I've decided that since I'm really good with my money, light bulb moment right there, since I'm really good with my money, I'm pretty sure I can get the car I actually want as my first car. Now it's not a Lamborghini or anything crazy, but he wants a nice car. And he wants it to be his first car. He doesn't want to start with the beater car. <laughs> that, you know, it's like the junker from the junkyard and it'll just put put along like it's not where he's going. But for me, the bigger comment was because I'm good with my money. And I thought, 
Oh, there's a win right there. We've been talking about money. We've been encouraging him to make decisions with his money. We've been encouraging him, you know, he has a bank account. So and we actually, he has two. So there's one that he uses to spend his money. This is his spending account. And then there's one that is for saving and investing because we do investing and he is all in like a dirty shirt. And he chooses, I say to him every week, he gets an allowance. Where would you like your allowance to go this week? And he chooses where it goes. And I say to him all the time, you can choose to put it all in your spending account, but then there is nothing for your future. And you've said you want this car. You can choose to put it all in your savings account and, and you know, take care of this idea of the car, but then you have nothing to live on today. Is there a way we can figure out a split? So maybe it's one week the money goes into the spending account, the next week the money goes into the savings account, or we split it down the middle or he makes decisions. And then it's, I want this, this thing that's expensive. So we start doing some research. How expensive is it? Does the place have um, a layaway plan? He wanted a very expensive remote control car and from a hobby shop. And turns out they have a layaway plan. Well, well, what's a layaway plan? Now I have this opportunity to explain it to him. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm not sure. It's not on their website. We need to go in and ask some questions. So we prepped the questions. What are we going to ask? Now, when we got there, he chickened out and he got real nervous and was like, no, I don't want to ask any of the questions. You just ask them. I'm like, okay, fine. I get that. I said, I'll ask the first three. I want you to ask the last one. And so by that time, mom's already asked a few questions. He's realized the person answering the questions isn't going to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard go away. Because I also explained to him that in a store, they're not going to do that because they actually want our money. So they're going to be nice to us. <laughs> you know, there was a whole process there and it's an ongoing process. But at 13, he is saying, I am good with my money. Now, that's what I want for him when he's 23 and 33 and 53. I want him to feel like he's good with his money and he can make educated decisions about his money and where it's going. And he can create for himself the life he wants with his own money when he knows how to make these choices. Just one little example there, but it's in line with what you're talking about. We felt such joy in those conversations. He's interested. He now understands the value of his money. We're doing delay of gratification, which is huge for all of us, which is a buy now, pay later society, right? Delay of that gratification. So I need to map out how I'm going to earn the money. Where can I make money or can I ask for money for my birthday and forego gifts? Like, how can I do this? What's the total? And then working towards getting there. So many amazing things. And that's just one aspect of his life that I am so stoked about that we took that time because we started this when he was little, like seven or eight. And now at 13, these are just average conversations over breakfast in the morning. Like, hey, mom, I'm thinking about this. Perfect. Let's have that conversation. And it's it's very quick now. We don't have to spend a lot of time or belabor it because I feel that we are empowering him to now make those decisions. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't go quite the way he planned. And we need to let him feel the sting of that because we all know as adults, our best lessons learned have come from the things that's done. For they sure. Just have. Now, it's safe. I'm not going to let him go bankrupt. He's not going to, you know, he's not getting a credit card at 13. 
he can't, but I'm not getting him one in my name that he's dealing with. Right. So I'm not, you know, helping him get into debt and all the rest of it. It's nothing scary or really big in the grand scheme of his life, but it's the stepping stones that get us there. Right. And so super excited about that. And having parents just think about, I mean, again, totally overwhelming. I feel that and live it. Every aspect of our child's lives we have to be involved with. And there's so many things to think about. Is our child wearing pajamas to school and the kids picking on them? That's one thing. What are we going to do about money? Uh, That's a whole other thing. And what are we going to do about, you know, activities and health and nutrition? And like, it just goes on and on. Pick one is my suggestion. Pick one. Pick one and focus in on it for a while and watch what happens. Because pick, pick one that you like, that you enjoy or your child enjoys or you enjoy together right? And see what you can weave in there because you'd be amazed the spillover into the other things that happen when they start feeling that confidence, that joy, when they're excited to come and talk to you. I know more about this particular car than I ever wanted to. And, you know, there's a lot of times that for me, and I'll be really honest, sometimes he sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. It just goes on and on. And I'm like, twerk. Oh, like I care about torque, but he does. So I'm going to learn about torque so that we can have these conversations. And at least, at least I can ask good questions. I don't need to know it fully. And I tell him that I don't need to know all this information. You do, because this is of interest to you, but you can totally share it with me. That's great. I think it's awesome that you're going and doing that extra research and price checking things and doing that kind of stuff. That's awesome. you for being a part of the living your legacy podcast community in 2022 we can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year we've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you the living your legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots we found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience we'd love to help you get your message out let's discuss this Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. So what are some ways, Marcy, what are some tips that you can give parents? Because like I just said, that's one area. It can be so overwhelming. What are some tips you've got that can help parents pick some of those things that they can work on? And what would you suggest like as strategies. So tips and strategies. Let's let's dive in there because I love me a good tip that I can take away and do. I love a good action-based tip. So we're a good pair. One of the things that I want to highlight that runs through your story is the intentionality of it and the time that it takes because behavior change takes time. So you started when he was seven or eight and at 13, he's like, I got this. And the conversations are quick. But you have to intentionally bring up these topics. You have to intentionally talk to your kids about it. And so I would say like Sunday dinner, you're going to talk about this every single week or once a month. And every Sunday dinner, there's a conversation. So a few things about how to do it. One, if you don't know what topic to pick, pick kindness. Teach your kids to be kind and thoughtful. If you don't know what to pick, if you're overwhelmed by the thought of it, if there are just too many things that you haven't started talking about, pick kindness because that will run through everything, everything. And that will change their life. 
And in our day-to-day lives, we're not always kind to each other. So pick that. So that's one. Two, focus on the good. There are so many moments. Your kids come home from school. How was your day? You hear the litany of the problems. You hear what they didn't do for homework. You hear about the friend that was mean to them. Pick good moments to talk about. Encourage that conversation. What was great? Stack the question. Ask them what was great about your day. I'm also a big fan of at dinner time doing round robins and picking one person in the family. Everyone has to name something great about this person. Now everyone needs to name something great about the next because it teaches us to take and give compliments, and especially with sibling rivalry. Again, this idea of kindness goes so far to look and feel the good. And at first, your kids will absolutely roll their eyes. They will think it is ridiculous, but it is powerful. Third, have an intentional conversation. If you are co-parenting with whomever you are co-parenting with, about what you want to teach your kids, right? I just said kindness, but sit down with your partner or whoever you're co-parenting with and discuss who do you want your kids to become? Pick five things. Who do you want them to be when they grow up? And then tell them. Michelle, in your story, you said, your son says, I am good with money. That language, I am, fill in the blank, becomes our identity. Mm -hmm. There are so many times where we, without thinking, create an identity for our children. Why are you being so lazy? Why are you this? Why are you that? Why are you the other? And I want you to notice how many of those things are good, positive, wonderful identities. Because as long as your kids show a glimmer of it, you can start naming it. You are a great older brother. You are really thoughtful. Mm -hmm. I like how you're being kind here. Wow, you are a good student. You're really creative. You work hard. You can do hard things, right? Who do you want your child to be? And then use those words in your house all the time. Don't make it cheesy because then they'll be, if you just start listing them like I did, they'll be like, ah, stop it. And, (laughs) you know, but it'll still seep in. But tell them regularly who you see them to be mm-hmm. and who you want them to become because you so, have to Marcy, parent intentionally. You were talking about the five things you want your children to become. You're not talking about like doctor, lawyer, millionaire. No. You're actually talking, talking adjectives. about qualities of themselves. Yes. Awesome. And they're best. So pick your child's top five qualities. Oh my gosh. I love that. Mm-hmm. What are, what is my child's top five qualities? Oh, that's a great question to ask people. Yeah. To really get them to stop and think. I have to stop and think about that. I'll be doing that tonight, trying to figure out my, my children's top five qualities. What are their top five things? Things that they kind of innately come with that I can encourage. Yeah. Right? Or that Rest, you want to build, teach. that you see glimmers of, that you want to build. Because there are things that I am today that I never was, right? I was, I was in resource room. I was tested for special needs many, many, many times. And they couldn't figure out what it was, but there's something going on. I've written two books, but I couldn't read growing up. Like I was, I was not, I did not identify as someone who was intelligent or smart or a writer, but I like, I have my doctorate from an Ivy league university and I wrote two books. Like I am smart. I never would have said it as a kid. My parents would have told me that I was, but I didn't. 
identify that, but I do now because I have the evidence of it. Tell your kids who you want them to grow into, not just who you know them to be now, because you can, there is no, there is no limit. You can inspire the possibility within them. Oh, that's beautiful. Like that's just beautiful. And isn't that what legacy building is all about? Yes. Right. When, and so my, when, as a parent, you can say, my child is an adult and I love their life. I love what they're doing. I love how happy they are. I love that, you know, they've always wanted to travel and now they're doing it. Or I love that they've got a partner that they just adore and they, they have a good, strong relationship. I love that you know, they've, they're starting their own family and I hear the way they speak to their children. And I love that. Now as adults, we should probably still be telling our adult children those things because frankly, the world, 80% of what you hear on an average day, that's a statistic I found somewhere, um, is negative. 80% of what we hear in the world is negative. Do I want to be a part of that 80% in my child's life? And that's not talking about the thoughts that we have in our own head. Oh no, that's the stuff outside us. Yeah. yeah. That's the stuff outside us that actually goes in our ears that we hear. Um, yeah. That's not what's in our own heads. And yes, yeah. you're right. Kids can be horrible to themselves. Mind you, adults can too. It's, it's yes. a thing. Yep. So my last tool, because you want to action based yep. tools to give to your kids is a love waterfall. So I made it up. It's a love waterfall. It's amazing. So what happens often when you have a challenging moment with your kids is that at some point it flips, your child feels bad and they talk badly about themselves and then you pour into them. You tell them that you're not mad at them, it's okay, it's fixable, and you start telling them that they're a good person once there's a problem. My hope is that we can kind of stop doing it when there's a problem because you're not really in that space to do it. You're doing it to ease the pain. And they're looking for that reassurance. So what would it be like to give your child that reassurance, that dump of love and beauty, simply because you were walking by them and you thought of it, simply because it's bedtime. So a love waterfall is where you sit and you just tell the other person for like two minutes straight what is amazing about them. You are so kind and thoughtful and I love the way you did this and the picture you made of our family that's now on the fridge really makes me smile every time I walk by it. And I love that you have this beautiful curly hair. It just, oh, and I scrunch it up and you get that smile on your face. It is amazing. You bring joy to the world and to my life in particular. And I love when we have these tender moments together and you just go on. You just pour into them about all of the wonderful things They did that day, that week, that year, who they are, because sometimes our kids need to hear it, right? As we just said, the voices in our head are not always kind. The voices around us are not always kind and you are human. So your words might not always be kind, but we can front load all of that by doing things like a love waterfall where you just pour in kindness and goodness and make that difference because then that will be the voice in their head that is louder than all the that others. That is beautiful. Um, so I picked up two things out of all that. I'd be super interested to hear what our audience picks up out of all that. But I picked up two big things. One, that um, stacking questions. So 
in case people are unclear what that is, could you define that a little bit? Because then I want to share a little how I do it in my car with my kids. How do you do it with your kids? Oh, well, I want you to define then I'll it first. <laughs> okay. So stacking questions to me, and I'm not sure if we've specifically talked about this already, but that is where you intentionally ask, oh, we did talk about this, intentionally ask a question with a bias. And in this particular moment, a positive bias. So rather than saying, how was your day, which is neutral, it could be good or it could be bad. You say, what was great about your day today? So that you automatically start looking for good things. Or when your kids come home from playing with their friends, what kind thing did you do on that play date? So all of a sudden they're like, okay, what was kind? What was kind? So you start building the reference to the good. You're starting creating that bias to the positive conversation that you want them to report. Truth is, if there is something hard going on in your kid's life, they are going to tell you. I mean, if you have a teen, maybe not, but your young ones will make sure you know. So we want to make sure we pull out the good and that we start teaching them to look for it. Because when you stack a question, that then teaches them that this is how we talk. This is how we think. This is how we ask others about questions. And so if you want your kids to have a positive bent in the world, some rose colored glasses, which we could all use more of sometimes, stack questions for the good. Love that. Um, so I'm a boy mom and in the car right after school is the time I have discovered in my house. It's the moment. The second they get in the car and the door closes, that's the time I've got 20 minutes to drive home. That's my 20 magic minutes right there. And so I know I'm going to get all the information because after that, it'll become at six o'clock. What was your day like? Fine. Right. It'll it'll truncate to one word. Um, so my stacking question is, what did you do today? That was really fun. What did you do that was really fun? What was fun today? And then I'm going to get the spinoff stories from all that. I'm going to I'm going to hear the good. I'm going to hear the amazing things that happened, the fun. I'm going to hear. And then what I do from there is to pick up some of those threads to do what you talked about with the love waterfall, right? So, oh, you know, PE was really fun. Yeah, that's because you're really good at it. So what did you do in PE? Oh, well, we did this or, you know, we had this race and like, I don't want to, didn't want to say anything, but I came first. Yeah, that's because you're good. And you practice and you train your body because you do, we do all these activities. And so, yeah, that's great. And, and what happened when you won? Oh, well, you know, I just kind of smiled and I'm like, well, that's good sportsmanship. Good on you. So now I'm, I'm framing the questions in a way to get at answers where I can then feed back the positive. Right. I'm also going to hear, oh, well, this girl in class wasn't very nice today. And so the question, I hear it. And so we have a discussion about that. I'm like, huh, I wonder why. I wonder why that, you know, why would somebody say that? So now we're getting to empathy and understanding and, you know, just sort of asking those questions to get instead of at face value, this person was mean. Now I hate her. Right. And you then saying, yes, you should hate her. Right. It's more, which is not the answer. Maybe we need to look at why they were mean in the first place. Is she usually mean or is that like something weird today? Maybe she's having a bad day. So just to get him to stop and take a step back and look at it. Um, so that's my magic 20 minutes right there. 
Because then the rest of the day, it's kind of, you know, he's off in his room, on his phone, on his computer, doing his homework, playing with his remote control car, arguing with his brother, like, you know, it's, it's life. But in that 20 magic minutes is where I do it. So asking those, so rephrasing just a couple of questions, um, which isn't super hard to do once you, once you start thinking about it, mm-hmm. figuring out a time and a place that really works for you, because when we're driving home, really, there's not much going on. I'm just driving and we would either be listening to the radio or the kids are fighting over whose Spotify account we're going to listen to, right? Rather than all that, we can have these conversations, right? And we can we can share that information. And it's a chance for me to just pour a little bit of love into my kid and say, you know, I know that this is this is really easy for you or this morning, you know, it was a different conversation around, you know, I, I think I figured out why I'm having trouble with this thing. Oh, why is that? Oh, because I'm really kind of focused over here. Yeah, it's really hard when you're distracted to to do well in one area and another. So again, we have these conversations. So I love those tips. Take the time to look for those moments where you can flip the question. You're right. Phrase it in a way that's going to get your kid to look at things a little bit differently. And then look for a time to do it. And then always look for those places. And I, I, I try to do this at home a lot. I tried to do this as a teacher too. We spend a lot of time trying to catch kids doing the wrong things. Why not try to catch them doing the right ones? So you catch that moment and you say, I saw that. What? Well, I just saw you be really nice to that kid. Thanks. Oh, or I know your brother's driving you crazy. I say this a lot in my house. I know your brother's driving you crazy. Thank you. I saw you really working hard to keep your patience there. And that was hard. Thanks. Yeah, it was. It was really hard. Yeah, but you did it. Thanks. Right? Mm -hmm. So those are the moments. And I don't have to like have a whole hour long conversation around it. It's just these little like... I don't know, gumdrop moments, mic drop moments, these little water droplet moments, like water out of a, out of a, you know, you're, you're dripping little bits of water out of it. And again, it's these little moments that I catch and I don't catch them all. And I'm not claiming to be perfect in no way, shape or form. And there are days where I'm like, I can't catch a single nice thing to do. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Right. But to look for those moments and just to, to drip on it. And you know what I've noticed? It comes back because now my children are saying it to me. That seemed like that might've been hard for you, mom. She kept you cool. Mm, They sure tried. Or wow. Like that seemed like a challenging thing you took on there and, and it looked like it was hard. Yeah, it was, but you stayed with it. Yep. Now we have a whole conversation. They're noticing it the other way. Mm -hmm. And so what a legacy to create. I love that. If you can only pick one thing, pick kindness. Um, within reason, because there's, you know, maybe don't be kind if someone's beating you up, you know, there's some choices where you might have to make some different decisions in life. But as a general rule, being kind creates a positive reputation about yourself. The and kid who you are con- kind to start with, it sometimes prevents you from getting in those tough situations. Absolutely. And it creates a situation where, like, think about it. When someone walks in a room and they're kind and they're saying nice things to people, we all want to gravitate to that person. Like, I need more of that. I need more of of what they're putting out in the universe that makes me feel good. And so I want to be around them. 
And so we, you know, teaching your children to do that collects people to you. It's magnetic. People want to be a part of all that. And it allows them to see the world a little bit differently. And certainly I have been saying for a long time and on the podcast very often that the world needs more kindness now than ever before. So teaching your children to look for opportunities to be kind and then to intentionally be kind is going to create this whole positive ripple. And what a legacy that is, not just for our families and our children, but the world in general, right? We can be and create kind bosses. And if we, anybody has ever worked, we've all wanted a kind boss. And there have been lots of ep- episodes and examples where we didn't have one. So, you know, we can learn to be kind bosses. We can learn to be kind employees. We can learn to be kind entrepreneurs, kind customers, kind uh, people on the telephone with your cell phone provider, right? We can do all these things and we can, and of course, kindness gets you far further because people want to help people that are nice to them. When we're, people are not nice to me, I'm like, how quick can I get rid of you? Mm-hmm. So is that what we want for our children? Again, in 20 years, what do we want for them? We, do we want them to have this life they love, to be able to solve problems effectively, to prevent problems from becoming big issues? Like there's so many things that kindness can just solve. So I love that you did that. It was super, super awesome. So now, Dr. Mercy, I am sure that as people are listening to this, like me, they're like, I need more of her. So how can people find you? Well, the most direct way is my website, which is drmarcy.com, D-R-M-A-R-C-I-E.com. But then there's my podcast, Love Your Family Again and Again and Again and Again, that you can find on all the podcasting platforms. So whatever your preference is, go find it. And then if you want more of my behavioral tidbits and my parenting guidance, my YouTube channel is a great place to do that. I have over 100 videos and that's Dr. Marcy Beagle. If you look it up on YouTube, they're all right there. Amazing. I love that. I could absolutely talk to you for hours. This is such an enriching conversation and really making me think about as a parent, what do I want to see happen for my children? And then investigating how can I have a positive role in it? Yeah. And not the negative, not the parent guilt or beating yourself up over all the things you don't do. There is time today and every day moving forward with your children to change it. There just Mm -hmm. is. So no matter what the the past is, we cannot go back and fix it. We or, or change it. I should say what we can do is start today and make small changes that will lead to the life we would like to have for ourselves and our families and for our children. And that's an extraordinary legacy. And I love that you said, if we teach our children that they can do hard things, if we teach them that they can be their best self, that they are capable of whatever it is that they need to be capable of, we empower them to go out and do those things, to make the world a better place, to create stronger, better, amazing relationships, to be better employees, employers, entrepreneurs, to be all of those things. And it doesn't have to take like the overwhelm that I felt when my son was little, where I'm like, when do I even just get to be mom? It can really be these little moments that you build in. Because when we look at, and again, I think to myself, how do I want my children to remember me? That's a question Mm -hmm. I ask a lot. How do I want my children to remember me? 
And what do I need to do to make that happen? Do I want them to remember me as someone they could talk to? Do I want them to remember me as someone that they laughed with together? Giggles, joy. Do I want them to remember me as someone who supported them? How do I want them to remember me? And then how can I create that? What can I do in this moment, in this day to build that? Because that's the stuff we remember. We remember moments, right, in our lives. We remember a specific conversation or um, a time where we felt absolutely terrible and our parent either made us feel better or worse. We remember those things. So create those memories with your children. That's extraordinary. That's legacy building. And again, it just makes you a better person. It makes your child a better person. And that's so much fun. Um, I love that you draw that you draw attention to this. I love that you shine a light on it and everything that you do and you say. I think that it's absolutely extraordinary. I encourage people to go check out your YouTube, to go check out your podcast. It is awesome. I have listened to several episodes and some of them I was like, this is amazing. And some of them like, oh crap, I do that. I need to go fix that. <laughs> there were a few. I'm like, oh, I actually need to go change that. Okay. And right? you're not the only one doing that thing that you're like, oh, because we can't do it all. We can't nope. do it all perfectly. We can't do it all beautifully. We can't do it all with with joy and ease and grace in every moment. It's not realistic. No, it isn't. And so one of my goals with the with my podcast is also to normalize what parenting really looks like, what the thoughts are that moms and dads and parents have behind closed doors every day that mm -hmm. we don't often say out loud, that we don't admit. And I've had some really amazing guests just be like, I'm terrified. I'm really worried about this thing. I'm a bad parent. You know, all of those things that we're not supposed to say, mm -hmm. but we all feel and think. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful to know you're not alone. It is absolutely very powerful. And thank you. Um, I have so enjoyed this conversation today. It was so rich and so many aha moments for me that myself personally, I'm going to take away and, and do some more work with my kids. And I, I really, truly hope that our audience got some value out of it. And of course, I'd love to hear what people thought about this. What are the nuggets that, that you are taking away from this? What is something that you feel like you could make a small shift, a little change to see where it's going to go and what that's going to do? Um, because you're right. As we all start doing this, wouldn't it be great instead of talking about all the problems we have to talk about the joys and the successes we're celebrating with and for our children and to be able to say as parents, good on you. You made that change and you made that happen. You're a better person. Your child is a better person. And that's awesome. So that we can encourage and support each other because you're right. This stuff is hard and complicated. And so many outside forces are at play all the time that we need to really be, we need to be living forward into the legacy we want to create. So that's the last question for today. And I love that. Where do you want to see your children in 10 years? What are their top five qualities? I love that you said that. What are their top five qualities that you want to see them living as an adult? That they're being those top five things. What are the top five things about your children that make you so proud to say, I know this kid. That's my kid. That moment, not when they score a goal or that kind of thing, but those moments, those interpersonal moments where you're like, oh, you're awesome. That's amazing. What are those top five things? Think about that. 
And then how can you encourage and grow them? How can you be a part of making those bigger for your children so that when you are talking about your children, that's the stuff you get to, you get to brag about. My kid is kind. My kid has lots of friends. My kid, you know, is my, my oldest son is my total social butterfly. Like everybody loves him. He lights up a room when he walks into it. He just by who he is, he just does that. And I love that about him. I love that, that that's something that attracts people to him in his life. And it's just who he is. So thinking about those things, what are your top five characteristics? What would you love to see for your children in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? And then taking some of the tips that Marcy shared today and actually working towards making them happen. What are you going to try today? What are you going to try for the next three weeks or six weeks or six months, right? What's one little thing that you can do that will prompt those beautiful, amazing things? I'm just getting chills. Where can you, where can you do the love waterfall? I love that term. Where can you do that in your life? And not just with your children. It'd be interesting to see where, where else people start figuring out like, oh, like I could do this with my employees, or I could say kind things to my employer, assuming it's merited. Um, I could, I could, you know, use that with my spouse or my significant other or my friends or my sibling, my own siblings or my own parents, right? How can we, mm-hmm. how can we look to extrapolate this out into the universe and make it bigger? You are amazing, Marcy. Thank you. You are. It's been so much fun being here, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I love the way you speak about things. I love how you bias everything into the positive, even when it's hard or like, you know, silver lining on bad situations. There's almost always a way to figure out something that you can learn from this to change yourself for the better or something positive that you can grow or work on. Um, I love that that's how you speak into the world. And that's why, of course, I want more of you. And I'm sure our audience will too. Thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.